on this episode of... That was a show? Isn't Iron Man last name Stark? Yes. And first name Tony? Ah, yeah. yes. And so Tony Shalhoub playing Ian, Ian Stark? Ian Stark, yeah. Combines I mean, the two? Ian Stark is just a... That's an author name. Yeah. Like, that sounds like an author that's name. That's a book cover name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Timely. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they opened on a hand sanitizer joke. And then yeah. they're, and then is it this episode or the next episode where they talk about the pit, like being exposed to an airborne pandemic? It's too real. Cold open. We grew up during peak sitcom, Seinfeld, Friends, The Fresh Prince. But those shows were diamonds in the rough. This podcast is not about those diamonds. It's about the rough. Some sitcoms were briefly popular in their time. Some were canceled almost immediately. You probably won't recognize most of these, and you'll ask, that was a show? That was a show? The podcast about failed or forgotten sitcoms from the 80s and 90s, starring... Bryn Burney. Aaron Yeager. And Andrew Helmer as Barry. A Radio Gizmo production. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this episode of That Was a Show. I'm fidgeting in my chair, Aaron. If we seem a little distracted or really ecstatically happy, it's because right before we started recording this episode, we got some of the same great news that a lot of you got back when we recorded this. Yeah, uh, after a very tense week, I mean, and we're just Canadians, looking at our phones, finally, uh, Joe Biden has been uh, the projected winner of the uh, 2020 presidential election. So remember that, like three weeks ago when that happened, everybody who's out there listening? Uh, <laughs> God knows what's happened since. I'm sure many dramatic events have happened to do with lawsuits and recounts, but right now we're just fucking happy. Yeah. And it's one of those things. It's weird. Us as Canadians, we're, we're way too obsessed with American news and American politics. Now it kind of feels like, OK, we can have a break from it all. Just focus on our own country and what kind of craziness is happening here. That's very true. And in the same way that we're super familiar with American television, and that's why we talk about all of these sitcoms. We are very much uh, embedded in everything that happens in American media and politics. So we have been following this very closely. And although this is not a political podcast, we are really happy today. Yeah, yeah I don't feel embarrassed to say we're very pro, pro, pro Democrat. On this yeah, show. <laughs> I, I'm looking... I mean, I feel like it's obvious yeah. based on our commentary yeah. on a lot of things. But if you haven't figured that out by now. Canadians, especially here in Ontario, but probably all over Canada, we we pay way too much attention to American news, pop culture and politics. You know, I would just like challenge our American listeners and friends to start maybe like learning about what's going on over here and uh, see that we are a three dimensional place. We're not just all happiness and politeness. We've got our own problems, but we also have our own awesome things and awesome culture that might be worth learning about. Yeah, we're all right. And on that note, Barry, why don't you go ahead and tell us about Stark Raving Mad? 
All right. So having completed our loosely thematically tied series of fish out of water sitcoms, we were looking for a new theme for our next batch. We settled on a new one, which we tentatively referred to as maybe it won't suck. In this, we'll look at three failed shows that either through past personal experience or based on research might not actually suck. For the first, I chose Stark Raving Mad, a 1999 sitcom that starred Tony Shalhoub and Neil Patrick Harris. It was the first sitcom created by veteran sitcom writer Steve Levitan, who would also go on to create Just Shoot Me, Greg the Bunny, and most successfully, Modern Family. The television show centers around the professional and personal relationship mm -hmm. between Neil Patrick Harris's Henry, a neurotic editor, and Tony Shalhoub's unhinged best-selling horror writer, Ian Stark. Thrown together after Ian's stalled efforts on writing a follow-up to his first smash hit horror novel, the show mostly centers around the two men influencing each other's lives by getting way, way too involved. The show is rounded out by a supporting cast that includes Ian's personal assistant and typist Jake, played by Eddie McClintock, the bartender who works at the bar beneath Stark's apartment, Maddie, played by Heather Dubrow, and starting with the second episode, Dory Barton as NPH's longtime girlfriend, Tess. We watched three episodes, the pilot, the second episode, and then based on pure whim to see something from late in the season, episode 16. So that's Stark Raving Mad. As far as the uh, maybe it doesn't suck goes, I mean, it doesn't suck. I'll say that. It, it doesn't suck. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. an easy watch, if not a particularly engaging one. <laughs> I had a tough time getting into it myself. It didn't hook me in, but I do appreciate it. On the second watch of the pilot, I definitely appreciated it more. There, it's definitely well written, but there's something about it that didn't quite grab me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, While it went by quickly, I found a lot of it kind of forgettable. Like It did seem like the kind of show where had I been watching at the time, I would have been happy to have this on in the background a lot while yeah. I like did stuff and then I'd it's be a, half paying attention to it. It's a perfect background show. It really is like in the way that, you know, that you would watch stuff like, well, something else that, you know, just that that guy wrote uh, just shoot me with something. If it was on, it sure wasn't good, but I didn't turn the channel. I liked Just Shoot Me. <laughs> <laughs> or, or like, you know, or we talk about Caroline in the City and like, I'm sure when we get around to watching that, like, I'm sure it'll be the same thing. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, it's not something that needs to be turned off, but you can probably walk into the next room yeah. and not worry if you miss yeah. it. Now, what I will say is I could probably spend our entire episode just talking about how much I like Tony Shalhoub. Yeah. I'm not a Monk fan. I like Wings. And like, so every time I see him, he's always good. And I always really appreciate him. But I would say this is the most I've ever liked Tony Shalhoub. You got to watch Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. See, then. there you go. Yeah. I know I do. I, I was, know I, I was going to say the same thing. We, we watched all of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel earlier this year. And I really fell in love with him as a performer in that yeah. show. I've never seen Monk. I watched Wings a bit, you know, two decades ago. But uh, I can't say that I really remember it. So I didn't really have much of a distinct impression in my mind of what I knew of him before Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And when I saw that, I was like, why have I not been watching this guy in everything he's ever been in? He's great. But here's the thing. 
we've seen him in everything, in everything. because he's just been in everything. Yeah, and men he's, in, he I always, always delivers. In Men in, in, men in Black. Yeah, like, he's a sure. standout in that. Oh, but I guess I mean like in this level of like yeah. a, a, a leading or major supporting role yeah. in a TV show where True. you're getting this high of a dose. Mm-hmm. He is very solid in this show. It's it's a yeah. more macho Tony Shalhoub than I was prepared right. for. Right. And he's a little, yeah, he's edgier than other characters I've seen him play. He's a little more, I don't know, I guess just edgy is the right word to describe he him. Hasn't... I've seen him be very buttoned down yeah. and very conservative in a lot of things. Always with a bit of a high energy kind of neurotic. Yeah. In this one, he's not the neurotic one. Yeah. So that's a, a, a refreshing. In most shows, you would cast Tony Shalhoub as the Neil Patrick Harris character here. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's what it is, is he's kind of playing against type yeah. in this show. And when you hear that Neil Patrick Harris is in this show, yeah. you're going to think yeah. he's going to steal every scene that he's in because he is so good at what he does. Yeah. Yeah. And then the fact that Tony Shalhoub has such a presence yeah. in this show and... Yeah, that's a very good they, point. They like, bounce off each other so well. They bounce off each other in a way where this show is a reminder of why a three camera sitcom can work when it's mm-hmm. great. Yep. Because it's like watching stage performers in a play. The two yeah. of them are like stage performers speaking to the back row the yeah. whole time. Yeah, this is one of the first, I mean, outside of like, say, Hi, Honey, I'm Home or something like that. But like, this is the first show in a while that like the sheer sitcominess of it didn't really annoy me. Because, yeah, it was a good vehicle for both of them to just kind of explode. Yeah. And the rest of the cast is, like, pretty good, too. Like, Eddie Eddie McClintock, you know, he has kind of a rough start in the pilot. But, like, he really kind of settles into, like, into a groove. And he, by the 16th episode, like, he's, you know, he's managing to steal a scene or two from them himself. So he kind of reminds me of Bingo from uh, Joni Loves Chachi. <laughs> like he's a similar yeah. character yeah. where he his whole deal is that he's the kind of male, the mimbo, you know, the male is, bimbo yeah. who's either really stoned or he's just out to lunch, like whatever mm-hmm. the case really is. Yeah, he's just like in his own world mm-hmm. yeah. and says the most random Things that end up being like the line that kind of steals the scene. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, we should say that this show opens with a scene. I had to write this down because when I saw this, I was like, okay, all three of us are going to notice this. Uh, it opens with Neil Patrick Harris coming into a meeting and he's introduced to an author and he says, I don't normally shake hands during flu season, but it's such an honor. And then he pulls out hand sanitizer after shaking the guy's hand. And during the pandemic that we're all living through right now, this takes on such higher meaning. Yeah. It's so funny it's to timely. see it used as a gag of being somebody overly yeah. neurotic when, you know, like I take out hand sanitizer exactly. 20 times that a day. 21 years yeah. ago, him taking, so all throughout the That's pilot. A, punch, a punchline yeah. is him yeah. taking out hand sanitizer. Yeah, the whole pilot, he must pull out the hand sanitizer 25 times. Yeah. And the fact that that's a gag in this show, and for us, we're just living that. Yeah. Oh, man. And if he, if he had been uh, wearing a mask at any point, then it would be too much. Then yeah. we would be like, I can't. This is too real right now. Yeah. But like, as I, as I too- pointed out to you guys when we were watching it, the pilot again, I was like, there's a gag in the second episode where they scare him by making him think he's been exposed to an airborne pandemic. And I was just like, oh, what boy. is going yeah. on? Yeah. 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 Coupled with that, with, you know, it's set in New York. And then there was uh, 
every establishing shot has the twin towers in it. Oh yeah, that is a weird. That yeah. is startling. Startling. Yeah. This show, speaking of which, I mean it it wears its 1999ness on its sleeve mm-hmm. really yeah, hard. Yeah, big time. Like I immediately noticed that the aesthetic, the camera work, the lighting, the wardrobe, everything is as close to contemporary, if not contemporary to the world we're living in in 2020, yeah. but it is halfway there compared to all these other shows that we've been looking yes. at from the <laughs> early 90s, the mid 90s, yeah. the 80s. The fact that this is 1999, it's starting to verge on contemporary in a way that this is the this is the most recent of all the shows that we've talked about so yes. far on this podcast. It's slipping in just under the wire as far as qualifying for an 80s or 90s sitcom. Yeah. And you can tell that immediately oh yeah like this you know i i'm trying to think you know this this looks like uh like will and grace you know that level of say like yes uh, production value will and grace i i to me it reminded me a lot of like later seasons of fraser sure fraser for yeah. some reason yeah, yeah, yeah. something yep. about the wardrobe the set design it just it has that yeah this looks like a 90s yeah. it looks like an like what we would think is a 90s sitcom instead of when we've been watching a line in the 90s sitcom being like wow these are pretty rough production wise mm-hmm. but yeah this one you know it's a full there's money here there's a lot of money it's nbc yeah. it's nbc i don't even have to look it up to know that i'm i know it aired on thursday nights because i know they would have been trying to pitch this with the lineup you know their thursday nights i didn't realize must. this was nbc oh yeah so you well, know what that means i only know because it i you know there was logos but okay yeah. so you know what that means this is the 14th show that we're talking about on this podcast yeah the first one from nbc first I nbc we've done a lot of ABC. are you sure i think so we've done a lot of abc's and a, lo- a lot and of a abc's lot of Fox. cbc cbs Fox. CBC. CBC, yeah, right. <laughs> we'll get to see we'll get to that eventually. We, we gotta will. roast our Canadian content as I mean, well. I've got a Canadian show ready to go that's gonna be a lot do. of fun I to talk about. Do. We'll do nice. it soon. But yeah, this I think is our first NBC show, and it should be mentioned that <laughs> maybe in, maybe that's why it looks so much better. Yeah, in the late nineties, NBC was the I don't know what what adjective could you apply to this, but well, this- I mean, Thursday night was must see TV. Yeah, that's yeah. their they coined that phrase, and yeah, but these for were the better the- part of twenty five years. NBC had a Thursday night block of comedies. Yeah, and mm-hmm. they were what you did right up until you know five years ago. I think they're still trying to do it now, yeah. but their last successful, you know, they would have had that run that had Thirty Rock. The Office, Parks and Rec, Community, uh, you know, yeah. and that was, and I know, which is very, all of those that you just listed are very different from what was being shown back then. Back then, it was all about hip New Yorkers, yeah, yeah, you know, like very adult, yeah, centric stuff. Whereas the the popular NBC sitcoms that came out in the last like decade or two were definitely more more genre bending, yeah, more, and yeah. more for general audiences. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting. What you saw at the time in the same way that we've talked a lot about TGIF and how dominant TGIF was in the sort of family friendly, you know, TV show that's set in a suburban house sort Mm -hmm. of realm. Yeah. NBC in the 90s owned the single people in a big city. Gen X sitcom. They this was their turf. Yeah. And on Thursday nights. 
they had a track record where yeah. any month of any year during that decade, they had an A-list top 10 show running in, in one of those slots. More, like, than, more than one. More than one. This fits in so nicely with that. Like It's not quite as polished as the other ones that hit it big, but none of them really had super polished first seasons either, right? Yeah. So. And this cast suggests that this was a show that they were aiming to be one of those A-list shows. The, the this was not filler. No, this was definitely not filler. And they and, and it did well critically and it did well with ratings. Um, if anything's holding it back, like it ends up being a closet hangout show. Like it has a concept to it about, you know, uh, NPH being the editor and like him being the horror author and like it's going to, you know, and that itself is an original premise for a sitcom. But when it settles into itself, it is just a hangout show. It is mm -hmm. about yeah. these four characters kind of hanging out. Yeah, it's a weird hybrid of a hangout show plus a workplace comedy yeah. plus a odd couple comedy. Yeah. So it's like a weird yeah. combination of all of those things. And it's in New York and they're Gen X and they're yeah. kind of in this world that is sort of not relatable to most people, but is sort of weirdly As aspirational, aspirational or yeah. sort of a fantasy world, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yes. So it's interesting. And in a way, it has something for different types of aspirational because NPH is playing this sort of button-down, polished, successful executive type. I mean, he's coming out of like a book publishing company. He's an editor, but he's, of course, wearing his signature three-piece suit. Yeah. He's <laughs> very put together. He's Ivy League educated. And then you have Tony Shalhoub playing the sort of arty, eccentric horror novelist. And so whatever version of New York City you want to live in, whether it's like the version where you're taking limos around or the version where you're taking the subway, this is your aspirational New York City of the late 90s. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny that even just just for, for, I feel like almost for safety purposes, one of their main sets is also a bar in case they ever needed to quickly transition it into just them hanging out at the bar. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> what year did How I Met Your Mother start? 2005. It looks like Neil Patrick Harris could have walked straight off this set yeah. and onto that set. Yeah. Very different character, but same suit, same energy. Uh, not the same suit, though. There was still no, 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 no. There no. was still well, a this is boxiness. a much cheap. This is a much cheaper, well, non-tailored suit. No, but the, the Barney Stinson suits were is, very fitted and oh, well, yeah. tailored. In both cases, he's wearing the suit that is fashionable for someone in their position at that time. Okay, fair. For fair sure. Enough. For sure. For sure. This is what, remember how in the this early- This is the best fitting suit we've seen on a show yes, so far. <laughs> yes. that's, thank you. That's, yeah. what I'm, that's what I'm trying it to say. It doesn't look like a kid wearing their dad's yeah, this suit. Exactly. This, this suit didn't come out of central, like out of central wardrobe. Like uh, they were like, okay, maybe get him one that fits. It doesn't yeah. look like a nice suit because 90 suits don't look like nice suits. He's a book editor and he's a young book editor yeah. who- who doesn't even have total control over like what authors he gets to work mm -hmm. with. Like he's positioned as an up and coming, but junior person within this company. Yeah. And he's wearing a three piece suit. Yeah. yeah a book editor would but be wearing also, jeans and a sport but he coat comes at from, most. But he comes, he from, comes, he from, comes from, money. from money. He's a wasp. Like but, yeah. he's- they, it, make, they make a point of saying that he comes from money. Exactly. Yeah. He comes from money. His dad's a commodities trader. <laughs> he, he went to Yale. 
And so it's... He's trying to dress for the role that he wants. I think so, too. Yeah. That whole adage. Ooh, yeah. That, like, you know, that silly thing. It's like, wear a power suit so that mm-hmm. you can project what you want to become or whatever. Good point. So... This Very is an interesting point. point for Neil Patrick Harris because the show was definitely among, you know the first time that somebody was really putting him out there after Doogie Howser, right? Right. And like, this didn't really take off, put him to stardom. Um, that 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 probably came after like Harold and Kumar kind of yes. thrust him back into like right? yeah. people finding- I was going to make the same comments. Yeah, like people <laughs> finding him funny. I mean, even just- Officer, officer, Neil Patrick Harris just stole my car. <laughs> no, NPH would never do N- that. NPH wouldn't do that. <laughs> oh my God. Those silly scenes, I'm sorry, I keep jumping yeah. all over you, no. but, but those silly scenes in that movie launched an entire a career. Like, yeah. cult fan base of, of Neil Patrick Harris yeah. and made him NPH. Like, it's so funny. But yeah, yeah I think you're, you're totally on the money there, Barry. I think they wanted this to be his big comeback. Because he's so... Because he's so good. good. He is so good. But for whatever reason, it just didn't land at the time. Studios probably didn't know what to do with Neil Patrick Harris. He has a very unique energy to his delivery that you can't slide him into anything and just expect him to just be like a support, you know? And he's young, but he's not juvenile. That's the other thing. Like even like even on How I Met Your Mother, like his character is so deplorable but it never becomes an issue because he's so- He's so, so likable. He's yeah. so effortlessly charming. Yeah. 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 And actually, I found this to be a bit of a roadblock in trying to critically deconstruct this show. Yeah. Because I find Neil Patrick Harris and Tony Shalhoub both so compelling, especially in the scenes where they're together, yeah. that it's hard for me to even really get past that and, and think what, about and that's why the show's just fine yeah it's, and there are because fine. there are issues around the concept and the stories and the writing but to me it's like i just find them so compelling yeah that i had to really focus and try to like pull myself <laughs> out of yeah. just enjoying their performances to be like but what is actually happening here and i think i d- i think i probably didn't get past it i feel <laughs> like that's why my like my whole assessment of of it coming in, I was like, it was fine. I just, you know, it was fine. It was easy to watch. I just sat down, watched three in a row and was like, all right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I don't know why I wasn't more hooked in by it because I love them both. But maybe I just took them for granted in that moment. Yeah, they're great. I don't need to pay attention to this. Like, I don't know. There's that possibility. And then the other thing is like, once you get past that and start deconstructing the show. Yeah. Yeah. There are some issues And starting from the very beginning, first and foremost, the title of the show, Stark Raving Mad, we've learned a lot as a society in terms of the right way to talk about mental health and the wrong way to talk about mental health. And this show, on the one hand, I think it's using a lot of like language and a lot of tropes that would fall into the category of the wrong way to talk about mental health or someone with quote unquote neuroses or Mm. anxiety. But at the same time, the show does not actually explore that theme with a lot of depth, given that it's in the title. Like, no, it's kind of confusing I, to me. I, I would say that. Why I actually, that title's even there. Well, because it was pitched as a, as a classic odd couple. He's neurotic yeah. and, he's, and he's eccentric. You know, like, that's, that, that's it. And they had the title and they just jumped from there, right? Yeah, it's and they, they couldn't resist saying Stark raving mad because the character's oh last God. name oh, is Stark. It didn't even occur to me until I didn't just even get that. Oh, guys. Fuck. That's oh. why they went to, with oh, it. Stark. Shit. 
Raving son, mad. Son of a bitch. On the topic of them being an odd couple, which yeah. I, I find compelling to see NPH and Tony Shalhoub push together as this odd couple playing off each other. But what I will say is that that premise for me mm-hmm. wears kind of thin in the idea that you have this successful novelist. Yeah. And you have this junior editor from a publishing company. Yeah. And that is not a relationship that will force these two together all day, every day. Like, that's just not how that job actually no, plays but out. By the end, but by at least the second, you know, by the second episode or even the 16th episode, we see that they are friends now. Well, they, that st- they, yeah. they spend more time together outside of work than they do working. They do. But it felt it felt like they're trying to squeeze a lot out of that theoretical relationship. Yeah. And the idea that so they have to become fast friends yeah. and spend a lot of time with each other. And it's predicated on the idea that MPH's character is not working on editing 20 other books, which anyone who works in that job would not actually be devoting all their time to one author. That does not seem realistic. I, I mean, I think that MPH would be put in that position more realistically if they were coming up on a deadline. Like if right. if they had if a, they if were the book, literally waiting on his book yeah if yeah. the book was supposed to be in market within like you know six months and he hadn't written a page it would make sense uh, at least God at least from what I know of publishing I've seen this type of relationship in other mm-hmm. media about basically making sure that an author hits their deadline so yeah. having basically yeah. like the publisher sending somebody right. Yeah, um, but yeah. It, it definitely it sets it up. So so for for those who haven't seen it, it sets it up that Tony Shalhoub has written a book that was extremely successful. It's some sort of uh, literary horror type of yeah. Thing. He's he's a new Stephen King. Yeah, like a new Stephen King, something very successful. But he has one big hit, and it's been over a year, and he hasn't written a single page. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris is playing a junior book editor who has just been assigned to be his editor. And we are to understand that their relationship is based on the idea that NPH is kind of calling out some of the attitudes that Tony Shalhoub's character has in a way that kind of puts him on the spot and presses him to actually start writing. Yes, he's the Greg to Shalhoub's dharma. Yeah. And I, I love how we're not even using the character names. <laughs> yeah. And then simultaneously that NPH feels he's going to get something out <laughs> or of- Or even the full actor name. Or anymore. even the full yeah, actor. Yeah, NPH. NPH. Shalhoub and NPH. Yeah. And, and NPH feels he's going to get something out of this relationship because Tony Shalhoub is such a free-spirited character- that it's going to make him like more comfortable and at ease in his own skin or something like yeah, that. And yeah. this is verbalized the, explicitly. That is the premise of the show. Essentially, it, one of them is bringing order to the other one's chaos and the other and one is bringing versa. a little bit of chaos to the other one's order. Is yes. is uh, Tony Shalhoub playing a different form of a manic pixie dream girl? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Again, for a show that I, I find just fine, I had more positive thoughts to say about it than I thought. I did find it interesting to see a show like this about uh, a male friendship that is not in any way dominated by overly macho behavior and is just Mm -hmm. about them. Like in the three episodes we saw, two out of three of them involved one of the other one having a problem with how much the other person was sharing or being open with them. And (laughs) I thought that was a really interesting thing to see because that's not really typical uh, male behavior according to the media, which is, as we all know, bullshit. Uh Um, that's, These are two very different type 
of male characters that, again, not shown a lot. That's yeah. true. Speaking of gender roles in the show, however, yes. big uh, gaping goose egg yeah, when it comes to yeah. female, <laughs> female big, characters. Big obvious problem is that, you know, it's all well and good to have those two primary characters in this odd couple both be male characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the female characters that are around them in their orbit are not only like to say two dimensional would not be doing justice to how much they are basically just transient props the show has yeah. no, the show has no consistent female identity no none yeah. whatsoever and any female character that like kind of slips into a scene is there to either be the like oversexed quote unquote cliche or the like frigid cliche yeah. and they're just like these transient forgettable sort of characters that just slip in and out as props well and it's a waste of very talented performers because every actress that they have uh, featured are very talented but yeah like they're definitely one note they're definitely like afterthoughts yeah but Ma maddie is the bartender is as close to like given into another season she could she i could yeah. see her even just going from one two to 16 seeing how much more integrated into the cast she was by that point yeah. like every scene with all of them generally had her there too yeah. Yeah. Um, so I feel like she's developing at that point, but she's still not there by mm -hmm. the time we, at least where we saw her in 16. Like, yeah, she's she's on her way. And if the archetypes that we've called out on a lot of the previous shows we've talked about, you have the yeah. the boss at the book publishing company yeah. who's the type A cliche. Yeah, she's like the maximum cliche of the highfalutin New York publishing executive. She's, like she has a weird accent. The, yeah. the mid-Atlantic accent. Yeah. She has a weird thing that in the 90s that if you were a successful woman boss, you had to also be teetering on the brink of like a breakdown. Yeah. Yes. Like, yeah. like yeah. she's she's drinking at nine in the morning. Yeah, and she pours like, herself a stiff drink before every line of dialogue. And she's talking <laughs> yeah. and she's talking about how like what was it, his line about uh you want me to transition from romance novel or romance to horror? And she goes, Well, that seems to be how it works in my personal life. And you're like, geez, yeah. she really doesn't have it together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a funny line, but yeah, it's definitely it's that that yeah. whole cliche of oh successful woman equals train wreck of a personal life yeah. and and she's a regular on the show but by 16 she's just not there anymore yeah. and you're like well yeah because how how many situations did you think you could get her into yeah yeah and then there's the bartender who's the cougar yeah she's yeah. the cougar at like at 29 yeah 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 she's a t yeah although it's i'm sorry great gag of her taking your calendar out and be like so what september <laughs> she asks the young guy out and he's like yeah we can go out like in, in six, six months, months but i'm 21 and like it just she just takes out a book so what is yeah. that september like, so what september <laughs> I, I just think i just think this is like kind of a steve levitan thing and it's like even his most successful shows have been criticized for having cliche female characters. So it's, I yeah, don't know, it's even, just a thing. E like even the amount of modern family I've seen. Yeah, I would say. Exactly. That's what I was talking about. I would say half. Yeah, only half of them end up being fully realized. Yeah. From what I've seen. Or everybody but Sofia Vergara, basically. Yeah. Okay, so talking a little bit about genre. Um, in the pilot, the 
act break, we'll say, between the second and third acts, the show takes this really interesting turn where Tony Shalhoub's Ian Stark has finally started to write after a year. Did you just say Tony Stark? Tony Shalhoub's Ian Stark. Okay. I think I said it quickly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to keep that in. So we see him pacing and dictating into a pocket tape recorder. This is after NPH challenged him to actually write a page. And so he does. Mm-hmm. And then the assistant leaks those first few pages mm-hmm. to NPH. And so one of them's reading it while the other one's dictating it. And it's sort of cutting back and forth through time. And there's a lot of really dramatic camera moves and crossfades and low key lighting. And when I was seeing this and... They're reading the, the lines from this book. Mm-hmm. And it is like interesting literary horror. It's clearly going along the lines of like a Stephen King type of thing. Yeah, it's, well, it's well-written. Well-written like it. stuff. Okay. Like it's definitely mm-hmm. being positioned as this is well-written literature. It's it like, a, yeah, I said this earlier, but it's the exact opposite of when you see the sketches on, on Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip where you're mm-hmm. like, Aaron Sorkin does not know how to write sketch comedy. Yeah. In that scene, I started to think, okay, maybe they're doing something a little bit interesting, bending the genre rules of a sitcom here. Mm -hmm. And this series might have some scenes that are more dramatic. Like, it's not really a funny scene. There was humor before it. There's humor after it, Mm -hmm. like bookending the scene. Mm -hmm. But the scene itself is just letting the sort of showcase of this literary talent land. And it's just a few minutes where you're just getting to hear writing from this book and see that this is actually a talented author Mm -hmm. and that this could actually be going somewhere and this would actually be a really great opportunity for a young book editor to get to work on this and they do a good job of just presenting that Mm -hmm. with appropriate lighting and you know camera moves that today we'd call cheesy but in 99 no it's a good sequence very well done and i saw that and thought okay Maybe every episode is going to have a scene like this. Maybe every episode is going to create this genre hybrid moment where we get to track the evolution of this book. Mm-hmm. Doesn't happen, at least in episode two, which we watched. And yeah, then we yeah. jumped ahead to episode 16. It ends up just falling back into a very conventional sitcom structure. Mm-hmm. And we never regain that sort of element, which to me was disappointing. Well, you know, we might you might have seen more over the season. Who knows? The whole the whole world of publishing and yeah. writing, it's not relatable to most people. So it would yeah. be hard to sustain that and not just make it more about the odd coupling and the The silliness. Yeah. Especially since it's a network television show and they have to do how many episodes per season? 22. Like a, so many. So many. It's not like some of the the comedies and dramas even on the streaming services where it's like one and done a season after like eight tidy episodes. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's it's tough, right? Like it's interesting to us. Yeah. Because we are the types we're that writers. Would, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like we are the types that are we're not only fascinated by New York lifestyles in the 90s, but also, you know, we're creative people and we're engaged in uh, this is like similar type of work. So it is like very interesting to us. Yeah. Like, I don't know how many audience outside of us were like, oh man, I really hope we see more of the process. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. And I, I mean, you're like, look at those. There's not a lot of people who are like, when, when, when MPH takes out all those index cards 
and oh. talked about breaking down the story. We all and all forward. of us were like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Tell yeah. me. Oh, uh, but I've tell d- me more, man. I've done that kind of thing with screenplays. Fuck and I, yeah, I ha- yeah. But I don't like it though. <laughs> no, I hate it. It's awful, but it's, it's, but it's, it helps sometimes. It's um, torturous. But yeah. also can't help but note that TV shows and movies in the '90s and probably the early 2000s too that were set in New York. Yeah. Book publishing and book editors and that whole space oh, yeah. is yeah. such a thing. And magazines. 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 Why was that? back then it's weird because yes nothing's ever gonna kill the magazine (laughs) (laughs) because on the one hand yes that's a thing that you get in new york but you also get every industry in new york so there's no need to have someone working in publishing but they always do i I don't know if this necessarily works as much if if like uh mph is uh showing up as first day of job working for tony shalhoub's pizza parlor owner yeah (laughs) true i mean you know why it's because a it's the things that sitcom writers see but also it's the only thing where you could have characters behave like this and still get paid yeah mm-hmm. yeah like they, um, had, they had regular jobs you're like well all right well how about we fire somebody who doesn't come at me with a chainsaw like- <laughs> <laughs> and maybe it's just sort of something it's it's sort of adjacent to the experience of writing for television like it's sort of similar or the television writers could have imagined yeah. working in that type of environment too because it's similar to what they've been pursuing yeah. or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Oh, and there's absolutely overlap because yeah. if you're a screenwriter mm-hmm. in TV or movies, especially in the United States, you're going to have content coming to you through book publishers that's being adapted yeah. from mm-hmm. books. Even in even in the sitcom space, you're potentially going to have something that came from that like New York literary scene as source material. Yeah, so funny. I'm sure there's some cross pollination. I guess there. it's sort of funny if you think about it. Maybe it was them just having a brief fascination with we see actors and we see rock stars and we see all these you know artists portrayed. We seldom see the the people that work for them portrayed, and like maybe that's. A brief fascination they had with, yeah, what is the, you know, the junior editor at that place? What's his life like? I mean, I'm sure it's torturous. It's, yeah. You know, because like. It's not professional behavior. No, no. And I mean, not to go down a rabbit hole of how, how it feels to be in that position where you have writer's block where you're struggling Mm -hmm. with something, but it is real. And I found very amusing um, watching all the, the stupid things, the elaborate things that he did for research that Ian Stark did for quote unquote research. I'm doing air quotes as we speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I like that too. Because I've been there, you know, I've done that where I'm avoiding actually writing and I'm just like going down this weird rabbit hole of searching things online and Googling things and distracting myself because the actual process of writing is so difficult and yeah. it's it's yeah. that's why none of his weird pranks ever like bothered me because yeah. i was like yeah he's actively avoiding writing <laughs> i like, get what he's doing yeah. like yeah and, yeah. and not mo- most people wouldn't pick up on that because they just think oh he's just an eccentric guy that's what he's doing but i'm like oh no he's just fully yeah, he's avoiding just doing anything like yeah. he's like <laughs> let's uh he's just like, a writer you know yeah, what? there's yeah. even there's even a great gag in the second episode where he's talking about like he finds out MPH has a girlfriend. He's like, oh, I'm going to go stalk her because it's a sitcom or whatever. Yeah. And then he goes, man, I really had a lot of important stuff to do today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love, this. I love like, that line. I'm, I'm derailing my day to <laughs> do this. Derailing and I'm like, my day on purpose, yeah. basically. That's, like, that's Mac 
maximum yeah. relatable. Yeah. Like yeah. that is maximum relatable to yeah. to myself as a writer and as someone who actually has ADHD. Like it's yeah. just it is the life that I live. Where oh, it's yeah. like, oh, I'm just gonna do these like other yeah. five ridiculous things first. And also having those lucid moments where you're like, oh, I God. know I know I'm about to torpedo my day. Yeah. Dear God, what kind of decisions am I making yeah, right yeah. now? You know? The amount of times that I had like I just took some time off and I had a whole organized writing thing planned out to do. And the amount yeah. of times that I would hit like one in the afternoon would be like, well, I didn't start at nine like I planned, so I better start tomorrow at nine. And <laughs> today's a write-off. Today's a write-off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And like yeah, I just I found it also very accurate the way in which he suddenly began writing and then was in a whole flow and wouldn't stop and like mm-hmm. that is like definitely yeah. and it's yeah. just like nighttime and he's pacing around with yeah. a with a tape yeah. recorder. Yeah, y- you know what? We sometimes talk about a version of this show that would work, and for me, it's like. Yeah, my read on on Ian Stark was not even that he was that eccentric. No. Because to me, most of what he's doing is just he's a writer. Yeah. And the things that kind of... He, like, pl- he does like practical jokes. Yeah, but the things that play <laughs> as eccentric are the things that because he's a horror writer, he's into some stuff that's yeah. kind of darker or and more edgy. in that horror, edgy, more in that horror realm. Yeah. But to me, I didn't see that as even being eccentric. So to me, the version of this show that works as an odd couple is he's who he is, basically unchanged, which is that he's not actually that eccentric. He's just a writer, which means that some days to an outsider, it seems like he's just goofing off and he's doing some sort of research. Yeah. Or he's getting distracted or he's yeah. actively avoiding writing. Yeah. And other days he is productive and he's writing very furiously. Oh, this show. And then yeah. the other side with Neil Patrick Harris does not have to be someone who has supposed neuroses or phobias or anxiety. Mm-hmm. He's just a high classic like high functioning type I, a type a ivy league educated highly productive person who's used to like showing up at nine yeah working hard till five yeah if you just position him as this young yeah. guy who's up and coming within a more corporate environment even if he is a book editor he's like a type a person who has a strong work ethic and yeah and is used to doing things in a very scheduled methodical manner Mm -hmm. then you have your perfect odd couple pairing you don't need to to even touch on terminology that might reference mental health or something like that yeah it's already it's already there i think all you got to do is just cut the theme song cut the exactly (laughs) i I think you're just describing the show i would just if you cut the theme song change but you don't need the hand sanitizer you don't need i'm fine with it i i honestly i would keep all those aspects of the character i would just maybe explore them with a little bit more meaning yeah. Yeah, you could explore it with like, more meaning. He's just an uptight guy. I'm all yeah, I'm Not all about actually, representation of yeah. mental illness on television. If represented if well. represented well. Yeah. So yeah. I guess my point is if you're not going to go the distance in terms of representing it well. Yeah. All I'm saying is this odd couple pairing is mm-hmm. not reliant on having that. No. So if you're going to make that an aspect of that character, yeah. good, do it well. But the odd couple pairing is uptight high functioning really well organized guy and horror author this works yeah. they're just two yeah. very this different personalities really, this would work really well as a 10 episode showtime series yeah uh, yeah don't change the cast at all right. do it single camera you know just treat things you know it's totally. got to be a dramedy i only realized during our conversation now that elaine's job on seinfeld 
is what MPH does in this show. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's a, a junior book editor, basically, at a New York publishing company right. that will sometimes get assigned to authors. And there is that early episode where she's assigned to that woman, uh, what is it, Vanya? Yeah, it's And her husband is the, is the maid that steals the statue from Jerry's apartment. <laughs> right, that's right. such a weird episode. That is like the weirdest apartment, New York apartment that's ever been on a television show. Their weird apartment with all the doilies everywhere. Yeah. And I kind of want to watch that episode later. Yeah, we should do that. <laughs> um, I, I will also just say that there's, uh, I think this was maybe, was this in episode 16 where there were some rough references to indigenous or Native Americans uh, and that Pocahontas oh, yeah. joke. So where this comes up, the whole plot is that uh, Ian Stark has in his past, I guess is like a year and a half where it's missing from his bio mm -hmm. and no one knows where he was living or what he was doing. And he keeps making up story after story, lie after lie as to why he was sort of dropping off the map during that time. And th this string of jokes relating to Native American culture plays off of one of his excuses of where he disappeared to. Yeah. Another one of them is that he was in a, a mental institution and they have some... They say funny farm, which I did say, not like. Which yes. is, yeah. They use some problematic language in describing that and it turns out that that's not where he was either. I knew it was going to be a dance. I knew it was going to be dancing. Yeah. yeah. It, it, that, that's a trope as that's well. That's a trope. Yeah, yeah. Where it turns out Male that he was... Male character involved in dancing. Yeah. <laughs> As as shame as great as shame. Yeah. Yeah. What would you even call that type of show? That it it turns out that he sort was of on like Lawrence Welk, like that kind of like <laughs> cheesy. Um, Sounds like a USO show. Somehow. Like a variety show. <laughs> a variety yeah. show Backup that dancer. involves uh, kind somewhat embarrassing Welk, singing yeah. and dancing and anything yeah. that's supposed to be sort of wholesome family entertainment. Is has strange production values and embarrassing costumes and I was also trying to I was trying to really place whether is this old Tony Shalhoub footage, but I don't think it was. No. But then also, so does that mean that his facial hair is fake on on this show? Well, that soul patch that he has in this yeah. show could very much just be a stick on. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm going with it's it's all fake. <laughs> We talked a bit about the opening credits. The one part that I also have to comment on is that font. I don't know what it's called, but that 90s font that you yeah. see on everything from that yeah, era. Yeah, yeah, On album covers, on TV shows. It's the edgy font. Edgy the, font, yeah. Yeah. Edgy yeah. 90s <laughs> font. Like a, like a fucking preset. Yeah. Yeah. The other production design thing is... Uh, Ian Stark's massively spacious loft apartment that has like the levels and the big sliding <sighs> sheet metal door. Fuck you, TV, for making me want that yeah. and never being able to have yeah. it. Yeah, because even even a successful novelist who we are to believe has had one successful book, yeah, could not possibly afford this place. Yeah. This is this place is. is I mean, we are, it is implied massive. that he's very successful. It's implied. because people care a lot about him for just having one book. They, yeah. they do, but this is a gargantuan apartment. Yeah. I have to say, they do actually comment on uh, NPH. What is his actual character's name Henry. again? Henry. Henry's, Henry's uh, apartment, 
because uh, Jake come like breaks in in the middle of the night, which is kind of a funny scene as yeah, well. Yeah, because it, it, he didn't call because it's really <laughs> scary getting a phone call in the middle mm-hmm. of the night. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So to alert him that Ian has started writing, I found that very funny. But anyway, I digress. Uh, they comment on his apartment and how it's like, how can you afford this place? And there's actually like an explanation given like that his dad helps yeah. him pay for it. Yeah, works in commodities trading. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, yeah, but it, it, it is funny. Like the production design, like they do yeah. acknowledge that it's weird that everyone has really a nice apartment. Yeah, yeah. That 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 line specifically felt like a comment on what was yeah. on TV at the time. Yeah, it yeah. was. So I guess like my final thought on the show is playing off Shalhoub's intensity and PH's intensity. Something could have worked with this and I would have liked to see them continue down that road of a bit more of a dramedy hybrid genre, uh, playing off the, the horror novelist thing a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Maybe what I'll call a sitcom gothic or some sort <laughs> of interesting genre. And I guess trademark I, that, honey. Trademark yeah, that. I like, I like it. Sitcom gothic. At the end of the day, I guess that's what it was for me that it's a sitcom. So it comes down to the situations that they're in. And I just wasn't into mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. I felt like there wasn't much more runway left to squeeze more situations out of this lemon. Yeah, I felt like even by the second episode, they were having to do a lot of legwork to even come up with these situations where like story wise, the show almost never works. But like the scenes where they're all just bouncing off each other, the show works. And like the more the show felt comfortable in that, the more successful it would have been. But yeah, like they were going to some pretty jumping through some pretty weird sitcom hoops to come up with stories. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I think it's that time again for Six Degrees of Friends. All right. So this one was really straightforward and honestly, I was pretty lazy with it, I won't lie, but there were multiple one degree separations from Stark Raving Mad and Friends. Eddie McClintock, who plays, of course, Jake Donovan on Stark Raving Mad. Of course. Was a guest star for two episodes of Friends. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah. And then um, behind the scenes, I know we don't like to do behind the scenes, but there are significant behind the scenes people. Gail Mancuso, who is a director, very prolific. Another like shout out to another great female director. Um, She directed a few episodes of Friends as well as a few episodes of Stark Raving Mad. So another one degree connection. Great. And the third most obvious one degree connection is writer Brian Buckner wrote uh, a few episodes of both series. And I tried to go down a path of connecting uh, NPH and Tony Shalhoub, but I was like, meh. (laughs) Fair enough. You got us there. There's more important things going uh, on in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear that. All right, what do you got for us for the spinoff? Yeah, so the spinoff, I mean, a lot of it is very self-evident. Stephen Levitin, who uh, created the show, went on to create a couple other semi-successful series and a couple of not-so-successful series, but his biggest hit so far was Modern Family. Uh, Heather Dubro, who at the time went by Heather Page Kent, had a kind of similar trajectory to Stephen Levitin in that she was in a lot of ill-fated TV shows Mm -hmm. and he had a few ill-fated TV shows. But then she kind of came back 
into the spotlight in a weird way by her stint on the Real Housewives of Orange County. <laughs> is she a, is she a real housewife? Yeah. Yeah, so she was on the Real Housewives of Orange County between 2012 and 2016. I didn't go that far with it, but there's kind of some headlines I saw of her saying to to boycott the show <laughs> because of a particular character. I'm not that familiar with the franchise, but if she is outspoken against some of the people in that franchise, then I'm cool with it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not overly surprised to hear people involved <laughs> in that show might not be on its side. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, of course, our two main actors, Neil Patrick Harris, he's NPH. He's NPH, like, man. What do you, like, shortly after this show, he became NPH by way of his very memorable appearance as himself in Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. And as I should say, a fictionalized version of himself on <laughs> that movie. And he, he went on to find huge success as Barney Stinson on How I Met Your Mother. He was also in one of my favorite web series, uh, Dr. Horrible. And he's just been in the pop culture Zeitgeist He's for years since, and everyone loves him. He's fucking um, NPH, man. Tony Shaloub, similar thing. The guy was an icon before this sitcom. He was working a ton before it and continued to work a ton after it. You know, he had one of his own leading roles in the series Monk that ran for several se seasons. Long time. And he's currently in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which we already talked about, and he's fantastic in that as well. I think I'm going to have to finally give Monk a chance. Yeah. I've seen some of it. It's fine. It's fine. Let's put it this way. If, uh, if you guys had a hard time with how mental illness was handled in this, uh, Monk, is, uh, Monk is much worse. Oh. I don't even know what Monk is about. He, he, he has obsessive compulsive disorder in it. It's just about a detective who has a obsessive compulsive disorder. Oh. oh. You know what? To say that it's handled unfairly, that's probably not completely accurate. It, it, it probably handles it just as well as it does poorly. Like, mm. it's very exaggerated, but I believe it also at times focuses on the drama of the situation for him. And he's very, very good in it. Okay. And it's a dramedy. It's a full on, it's, it's, a, it's a hybrid. So Barry, uh, I'm a network executive in the late 90s and you are a TV producer. Pitch me Stark Raving Mad. Hey, Aaron, have I got a show for you? Go on. Well, it's not so much a show. I got some actors and I want to put them in a project. All right, who you got? I've got the guy from Wings. Thomas Hayden Church. No, 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 the other guy from Wings. Steven Weber. No, 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 the other guy from Wings. Who? Tony Shalhoub. He's great. He's the guy from Wings. Okay, okay. You know, when you're walking out on the streets and the kids see him, they point and they go, look, there he goes. It's the guy from Wings. All right, and who else do you have? I got the kid from the Doogie Hauser, the little, little, little fella, Neil, Neil, Neil Harris or Neil, Neil something. I don't know. And what else do you have? I don't know. They'll just bounce off each other. One of them's going to wear a suit. The other one's going to be a little, you know, he's a, a, a real guy from Wings type. Okay, so this is like an odd couple sitcom? Yeah, that sounds, yeah, yes, yes, an odd couple sitcom, absolutely. That's what it will be, that's what I meant it to be, absolutely. You've got so many empty slots to fill, we just gotta put something on. <laughs> well, this was fun. We had a lot of laughs. But some things are no laughing matter. 
What did we all learn from Stark Raving Mad? Um, reduce, reuse, recycle? Good enough. Well, good night, everybody. That was a show is a production of Radio Gizmo. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on Instagram for info about upcoming episodes. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends about it. Next time on That Was a Show. That Zibble Shepherd joke landed like a sack of potatoes. It's your first joke of the series, guys. Come up with something. Now, I will say, I'm impressed at how they pull off the freeze effect. Can we talk about how this is a physical effect and that they're all just standing still? (laughs) What's that documentary about, uh, is it Heart of Darkness? About Apocalypse Now? I feel like you could make a documentary about the making of this scene. Interviewing all of these background oh performers. How funny would that be? Talking about how tortured they were getting minimum wage to like stand perfectly still for 16 hours. I like Uncle Bino. I like his little outfit. I do too. I hate every food joke they make about him. I know. It's terrible. Oh, every line they write for him is garbage. Yeah, yeah. But as an actor, yeah, he seems very likable. Oh, I love Uncle Bino. And they, and they treat him like shit. His character is just... Fat jokes. I know. He's an Uncle Buck type. (laughs) (laughs) Radio Gizmo.